Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about building trust. Yes. <laughs> Tough one. It is. It is. I think this is going to be a little bit of an exploration. It's almost hard to talk about in a sense. I mean, it's not hard to talk about, but there's just so many aspects to it. It's so subtle. Humans are evolutionarily hardwired to judge the trustworthiness of others. I mean, it certainly was an important life skill. I would say it still is an important life skill to know who you feel like you can trust and who you can't. Can we just start off with like a definition? Because I think it, it helps. I've got, oh, wow. a, yeah, I've got, I actually just pulled up the Google. The first hit is trust, firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something, which I think is. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that has everything in there. And I like the word reliability. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's part of what we instinctively use to judge whether someone is worthy of our trust. Mm -hmm. Yep. Are there sort of outcomes, are there actions, their behaviors, are they predictable? It's reliability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before the show, we were kind of talking about this. And I think of trust quite a bit in the sort of pre-sales phase of meeting with a new client and if they don't trust you they're not going to buy of course and not everyone's going to trust you or speaking for myself not everyone's going to trust me I'm not a great fit for everybody people might just not click and that's fine but there's also an aspect to it after an engagement starts when especially in a coaching arrangement but really even when I was consulting and advising people on uh, mobile strategy that if they don't trust you then, even after they gave you their money, it's going to be a fight. At a certain point, there are going to be probably multiple points where a leap of faith needs to be taken, even in the course of the engagement, where you don't want to say, look, just trust me. But if they don't just trust you, it's going to be pulling teeth having to, you know, you're just constantly getting second guessed and, try, you know, you have to prove everything. And it's like, well, we're taking a risk here. This can't all be proven. But you hired me because you believe that I got the best educated guess out there. But at a certain point, I'm taking an educated guess. And I'll tell you when that is, but it's going to happen. There is no reward without risk. So we're going to be taking risks, we're not completely de-risking the thing. But, do, you know, do you trust me? If you don't, then... It's it's going to be a rough ride. So there's like a pre-sale trust and there's a post-sale trust. And I, and I think they're strongly connected. You know, if they don't trust you in the pre-sale and somehow they pay you anyway, you probably way underbid yourself. So they're like, oh, we might as well. And then you, you end up with the engagement and it's like, oh, just micromanaging torture, second guessing and all that. Mm -hmm. I really like the phrase you use, leap of faith. Because I think for a lot of consultants, that is sort of what we sell at some point, right? Unless you're just doing extra pair of hands things that they could do themselves, we're selling a leap of faith. Because if you want things to be different, you have to change something. I feel like trust is just an implicit part of that relationship. And the more we can make it explicit, I think it's easier to invest in relationships, it's easier to sell online, especially because they can see who you really are. And so they start to develop trust before they ever talk to you or meet you or work with you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sean D'Souza has a quote that I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly. But he basically says that whenever someone goes to buy something, the key thing is like trust. Like that's the key thing. That's the decision there. It's like there's a risk. And they decide whether or not they trust the seller or the product or whatever the thing is. And if you don't meet that threshold, if you don't reach the sort of trust threshold, it's not going to happen. So, you know, and in the context of services, like I said, that if somehow you do have just enough trust and your price is low enough that they hire you and that you, they don't really trust you and then you're supposed to be an advisor, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I, I trust you for $20. I don't trust you for 20000 <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't trust you with my business, but I do trust you with this 20 bucks. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's actually, that's interesting. Like you could be trusted in certain areas and not others. That's certainly true. That's big. That's big. 
Yeah, well, and it sort of relates a little bit to niching, right? Because somebody might trust me about what I say about brand, but if I try to tell them about how to how to garden, they're going to look at me like, huh? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I trust certain people to give me movie recommendations because I know we like the same kind of movies, but other people like not so much. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll trust them with other things. So it, so it is sort of discipline or craft specific or domain specific. That's what I'm trying to say. What could people do way at the beginning to project an image that the right kind of people are going to trust? So to attract the right kind of people who are a good fit for the particular service provider and are going to um, start to build trust with the right kind of audience. My big thing is, is being consistent. So consistency. And that doesn't mean that you can't change, but that you teach your audience what to expect from you. So it could be consistency in terms of like you write every day, an email every day. That would be consistency. It doesn't mean it has to go at 7 a.m. or 5 p.m. every day, but they know they're going to get something from you. Consistency in, in terms of language and sort of voice and this is something we all develop over time, but we want that to be as close to the authentic experience of working right next to you that you possibly can. So whether it's that you're writing something or you're putting something in social media, it needs to consistently sound like you. That's one of the reasons why speaking at like a conference is such a huge trust builder because they do get the feel of what it would be like to work with you. They see you, they see how you act, how you speak, how you uh, gesticulate, what you wear, everything. They, they get the full picture and they can immediately, obviously not the whole audience is going to click with you, but the people in the audience with whom you resonate are going to come up to you afterwards for sure and be like, ask you questions, give you their card, we have to talk, let's go over to the bar, blah, blah, blah. So translating that into an online realm is, is pretty tricky because it's a much lower bandwidth transmission, you know, communication. So I 100% agree, showing up every day in a predictable way. Like you said, it doesn't mean it has to be 9 a.m. every morning, but it, the same kind of language, the same kind of focus, the same sort of uh, voice, all those things that you mentioned, uh, I think is super important. It's very helpful to a lot of people. The idea of like emailing every day is like horrifying, but it's actually not that hard, I promise. But, and I think it leads into the next point that I have written down here, which is clarity. I think, I think clarity really helps build trust. Why are we here? What are we talking about? What domain am I focused on? Uh, what is the value proposition? You know, if you sign up for this list, you, I promise you will get this and then delivering on that promise. And I think clarity has a big, it is really important there because it's, puts a, a line in the sand or stakes out a claim or this is what I stand for type of thing. And it's not a take it or leave it sort of thing. But if it's not for you, that's fine. But I'll be very clear up front. This, this is my jam. If you want to come to me to figure out how to like, like no one will ever come to me and be like, how can I raise my hourly rates? You know what I mean? Right. I would like reach through the internet with my shoe and hit them in the face. It's like, no, that's not what I do. It's like very clear, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think clarity helps. I want to connect that to something I was thinking about. I, I really like the word clarity. And what, what struck me is, is giving it to the audience straight. And there's clarity in that, but it's also in sort of who you are and how you work. So that you, you take the, the artifice away and you make it all genuine. And I think that's clarity, but there's also, there's something else about being genuine. And so you're willing to give somebody the bad news. You're willing to say, I'm sorry, I don't have a magic bullet, but this is what we see as the issues. And here's how we, we think about solving them. I, I can tell a quick story on that. One time I was uh, giving a presentation. Uh, this, this is not on, it was live, but still it would have been the same. I was doing Q&A, which is one of my favorite parts of giving a talk, and somebody stumped me with a question. And I was like, oh, that is a great question. I really should know the answer to that, but I don't. If you want to hook up with me after, I'll get your email, and I know where I can find the answer, and I'll let you know. And multiple people came up to me after the fact and was like, I couldn't believe that you said you did. That was amazing <laughs> right. when you said you didn't have the answer. And, right. and one of the people said to me, just like came right out and was like, 
that made me believe everything else you said a hundred times more because the thing that you didn't know the answer to, you said so. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, good to know. <laughs> I should get stumped more often. <laughs> I was in the middle of a client call once and he was talking about this concept and, and this word and I'd never heard of this word and there was no way from the word I could even like guess what it was. And I said, what the heck is that? And he said, oh my God, do you know how many people I talk to about this and nobody ever asked me? So he goes on to explain, and it's this crazily esoteric concept, which was actually wrapped back into his work, but it was one of those things. And and he said, oh my God, I love you so much right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Dare to be stupid. It's like, and and, we're like leading right into the next bullet point, vulnerability, it's like, if you don't make yourself vulnerable to trust the other party, why would they trust you? So there's this sort of standoff. It's like, who's going to trust the other person first? I do this all the time in, in small ways. An example would be in one of my paid courses. Like people can download the videos. It's like, there's no paywall. Like they could share the URLs and people could be watching the videos for free. I just trust you're not going to do I'll say to them, like, look, I, I want to make this convenient, especially for the people in like New Zealand that don't have a good internet connection to be buffering these videos. I'm not going to make you guys all jump through hoops because, you know, so that I can ensure that no one's stealing my videos or whatever. And I'm like, look, I just trust that you're not going to you're not going to mess with, you know, whatever. Personal use is fine. Download them if you want. Fine. Please don't share them, obviously, but do what you're going to do. And it's just a teeny, teeny little example. But but that's the kind of thing that I could look back and think of examples in sort of uh, like in the consulting space where someone would be like, ah, oh, we should really meet, you know, get together and be like, that's, yeah, that's cool. And, and if I just have a spider sense that it's going to be a potentially really good client, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just when do you want to meet? I'll jump on a plane and I'll just like, I won't even talk about money. I won't. And they're thinking like, oh, maybe do we have to pay this guy? And I'll just be like, no, it's fine. I'll fly down. I'll take the risk that you're not a tire kicker. I'll spend that money to meet with you guys. I'm interested in the project. It sounds really good. There's like little, little things that, that crop up where you make yourself vulnerable to the other party that, um, well, heck value pricing is completely makes you completely vulnerable to scope creep and these other things, which is why uh, people who bill by the hour are so scared of it. And probably, if I really got into the psychology of it, giving somebody a fixed price for for any kind of service, I've never thought about it, but maybe the, the fact that I'm making myself vulnerable by saying this is the price, and if I have to work an extra two years on it, I'm, you're not getting charged a dime more. I mean, certainly there's like a reassurance there, like, oh, we're not going to blow the budget, but I wonder if it's the vulnerability piece that that builds the trust or maybe they're maybe they're indistinguishable it's like chicken and egg maybe but it's what i was thinking as you were saying that is it's it's sort of trust first right so if we if we trust first then the other person has the opportunity to sort of trust back right if if that makes sense i mean yes i just had this experience with a potential va that i was trying to source for a client a very specific client project and she was referred to me by someone else. And, and I sent out a note and I said, you've been referred to me by so-and-so. And, you know, this is what the, the, the work is about. I understand that you do work in this area and that you have capacity. Is this something you'd be interested in? And if so, let's schedule a call. And she wrote back and she, she set up a call. But then she, she, was, she said something like, well, I need to understand. And she went through this big, long thing of everything she needed to understand before we spoke. But the reason we were speaking was to talk about that. And then she said, you know, I don't charge $25 an hour. It annoyed the crap out of me. And we wound up not <laughs> not meeting. We're, she's definitely not, we're not a good fit. Let's put it that way. But what was fascinating to me, and I realized later, it's sort of like, uh, I equate it to, to dating, Maybe you dated a person or a bunch of people and they just, it's just awful. And so then you go to the next one and you expect them to be crap. So you lead with something like this comment, right? Like, oh, I don't charge $25. And I was, I was just fascinated by that. So I think there's this trust first that you, you trust that the other person, if they're attracted to you, I'm not talking about dating now, but back to consulting, if they're attracted to what you're saying online, then why not trust them? 
Why assume that they're going to come to you with something that's going to be bad for you? I suppose you just sort of nailed the example. I, I know lots of people that are like, they ask me all the time. They're like, well, how, you know, should I charge for the, for the first phone call? And I'm like, um, no, no, no. like <laughs> not like the dentist, right. Or the, the periodontist, you know, the specialist where you've got to pay to, to get them to evaluate you. I think there are times to charge for diagnostics, but, but the idea of like, here's my PayPal, like to get on a phone call with you. It's like, what no. business do you think you're in? No, 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 no. You know, no. You're, you're not a Coke machine. It's like, <laughs> There you go. You're not a Coke machine. Right. I'm like, I wouldn't do a bunch of homework first, but, you know, jump on a call. See if the, if you believe that from the whatever. I mean, it's like, but you're I admit, though, that you're trusting them first to not be a tired kicker, not be trying to get free information out of you. People invite me to be on their podcast. It's happened to me in the past. I hope this doesn't cause a tidal wave of it, but it's happened to me in the past where someone's been like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And be like, sure, I'll jump on anybody's podcast. And then come to find out they don't have a podcast. They just want to talk to me for an hour. Oh. Or they record it and never publish it. That's bad. Yeah. And it's like, it it hasn't happened a million times, but it does, it has happened. So now I actually check. I'm like, does this person at least have a real show? (laughs) You know? (laughs) But I, but the point is like, I, I basically trust that. You know, if you go on, a, on somebody's show, even if they have a show, maybe they're not going to publish. I just trust that they're going to publish it. I, you have to trust people in order to sort of move forward. I feel like we're like going really hard on the vulnerability thing because I know I know people, especially who build by the hour, have this mindset of I've been burned before, clients from hell, mm-hmm. everybody's out to get me, mm-hmm. and and it becomes this this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, you don't trust anyone. So you only attract people who are willing to work with a mercenary and they're mean too. Uh So it's like a vicious cycle. I want to come back to something you said about charging for those initial meetings. I would argue that, of course, we, we agree shouldn't charge for those, but I like doing homework for that first meeting because I want, I want to know who I'm talking to. So it, in, for my clients, it's looking at who they are online. I can see, you know, if they publish books, are they speaking? What are their social media handles? It's not like it takes that long, but it's, it is definitely an investment, but it's one I always want to make before I talk to them, before I listen to them, right? Because then what they tell me, I can put in some context and I find that I can provide value immediately on that call. And if the answer is, it's not the right time to, to hire you, or it's, um, you know, I'm not ready yet, or, oh, thanks, you just gave me the one idea I need and off I go, then they didn't need you anyway. It was all an investment. It's good karma. It's an investment in helping someone to be better. To me, that's just a logical investment. Now, I'm not talking about 20 hours, but to do that to me says you're a professional and you're taking that other person seriously and you trust that they're taking this thing seriously. Oh, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Like to me, homework, when I when I use, I should probably use a better term for that. Uh, because yes, I will find out who I'm talking to, uh, see if they publish anything in social media, like what are they into? I'll, I'll do that. But you know, we're talking five minutes, just poking around. But the there's sort of like, a, it's not really a slippery slope, but there's like, you can go way too far, and it turns into a pitch. And my goal for a phone call like that is to see if there's a good fit. I'm not there to convince them that I'm the person to hire. Definitely not that. In fact, I don't even call it a sales call. I call it a sales interview. And it's just like a job interview. It's going both ways. The person is deciding if they want, you know, the employer is deciding if they're interested in hiring the employee. The employee is deciding whether or not they think it's a good place for them to work. And pitching is a really bad idea. I think it's bad because it just, it sets the the power frame the wrong way. It takes away all your negotiating power. It's just too much work, first of all. So like, I do a little bit of research ahead of time about how big is the company, how many employees do they have, stuff like that. The thing that I don't do in advance is start to try and diagnose any kinds of problems from the outside or anything like that. And then, and I certainly don't come into the meeting with any kind of plans of making certain recommendations like, like, you know, I, I went through every page on your website and I think you guys should really change the typeface on the headlines. And, you know, <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> nothing like that. Nothing like that. Kind of like, here's your problem. Let me tell you what your problem is. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On the on the point of trust, if you can, if you get into that meeting and you've got your legs under you, you know who you're talking to, you know if it's like the CEO on the other end of the phone or you know if it's not, and you've got a general sense of what's going on and you have a brilliant idea while you're at it or you, or you just ask some questions that lead them to it. That, that's what I like to do on these calls is like ask qu- smart questions that are going to cause that their eyes to pop open like, oh, that's the exact... That's what we should have been asking ourselves all along. And then at the end of it, then it's like, well, I can see a few ways that we could work together if you guys would be interested in, in me putting together a proposal. I'm like, yes, yes. So, or or no, you know, if right. it's like, if it's not a good fit. Right. And, and if no is going to be the answer, you don't want to write a proposal, right? If you already know the answer is no, don't go through that exercise. But yeah, but I think the other thing, and we've talked about this a little bit, is that part of that new business meeting is you're, you're sort of trying to talk them out of hiring you. When you do that, that also builds trust. And it, you're doing it, you could argue you're doing it for your from your own selfish perspective. I don't mean you, Jonathan. I mean you, every all of us. We're not doing that to be selfish. Um, we're doing that to make sure that we, we serve the client and we get the right clients for us and that the client is going to value the work that we're doing. And of course, that exercise can also lead to value pricing. But yeah, it's that that conversation is full of trust building. And you can hear when trust isn't being built in those calls. Do you know what I mean? Like the way the other person is reacting or if it's you that's in the client chair and you're trying to hire somebody and they tell you before you met them that, well, I don't charge $25 an hour, <laughs> you learn you learn pretty quickly who's trying to be trustworthy for you. I had a, a landscaper come by our house the other day to give us a quote and it was, uh, and I noticed myself noticing things about his truck and his clothing and his hair and all of these things and judging judging like, you know, so like as he's walking up, I could feel myself because I'm hyper conscious about this because I talk about it all the time, like watching, observing my lizard brain, judging this guy. And can I trust him? Is he going to be, you know, he showed up right at 11 when he was supposed to be there. So right away I was like, yes. And then he like got out of the van and I'm like, seriously, this is the owner, you know? And <laughs> Now, this is before he's even spoken a word to me. So then he starts talking to me, and now he's building trust in a different way, the kinds of questions that he asked, and whether or not he's cutting me off in conversation or or if he's not listening and prescribing things before he even understands what I'm trying to get. You know, like all of those things, it's very lizard brain level stuff, and it's um, it's easy to mess up. The silliest thing can derail the whole the whole thing. That goes back to your first point about consistency. And like, it just really does all tie together, doesn't it? It does. And it's also, it's, there's a, an alignment issue here too. It's because you, you, you as, as the person selling your services, everything you do should be in alignment. All the things you just mentioned, the way you talk, the, you know, the truck, if you're the landscaper and the, and the customer can see your truck, what your website looks like, your voice in social media, how you speak with someone on the phone, how you present yourself in person, those all have to be aligned. And then they also have to be aligned with who you've defined as your sweet spot audience. That is hilarious that you say that because now that you mention it, the website of this landscaping company is immaculate. I mean, like gorgeous. Like there were pictures of estates. Like we have just have like a city house. Like we have a nice house, but it's not a mansion. And the pictures on this website, there were lots of client pictures of like giant yards with elaborate gardens and all this stuff. And so my expectation was like someone like practically in a suit was going to show up. Like white gloves. And like I wasn't going to be good enough even to be a client of theirs. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't want a landscaper in a suit. I want him to be messy. Yeah. I want some dirt. I didn't think the guy who rakes the leaves was going to show up. I honestly was like, these people are going to show up and just be like, yeah, your yard's too small for us. The problem isn't that the guy wasn't trustworthy or like needed to get a haircut. It was that it was a mismatch with my expectation. Like I expected a pristine truck to pull up 
with like a pristine, you know, maybe a polo shirt or something to get out, like the <laughs> estimate guy, you know. I hear you. No, I get it. I get it. It was the disconnect that was the problem. It was the fact that there was a mismatch between my expectations uh, from their sort of digital presence and online. And it didn't seem it was like dissonant, but it was fine. Like I'm totally going to hire the guy. He was great. I mean, yeah, but he sort of, he's, there were a couple of, couple of negative, not negative, not even negatives, but a couple of things made me go, hmm, but it, not too many. So it, it was just interesting since you're mentioning that sort of like everything needs to be in alignment, like their website and like uniform are not in alignment at all. Well, and it's also how someone is going to treat you during the course of the engagement. I mean, picking on house examples, I hired a bunch of different subcontractors to do different work on our new place. And I always picked people who I thought I could communicate with because that's really important when they're ripping up your house. We're part of a, of a larger association and there was some damage with some of the storms recently. So they brought the contractor for the association in and I had this immediate I just, he just offended me from the very first moment. I just can't even tell you. In this particular case, I think he wasn't really used to working with women. So I think maybe that was a little bit of it, but it was far more than that. And it was just immediate. And it just struck me that I had weeded out anybody like that in the process. And in fact, I didn't even meet anybody like that when I interviewed because I screened for that ahead of time for somebody who was going to like yell, literally yell in a big booming voice and tell me, you know, okay, little lady, this is what you're going to do. It was so jarring to me that I'd forgotten that, that there were people like that. And, and just take that situation and put that in any one of our consulting businesses, right? There are clients that we are just so far on the other side of wrong for them. <laughs> and then there's the group we can really hone in on. So that alignment is, is hyper important. And I, I just think that's part of what builds trust is is your expectations are met they're not exceeded your expectations are met yep it's, it goes back to the sort of reliability the belief in reliability and strength and all of that it's like yeah yeah you can overcome some first impressions sometimes if you work to build that trust you can get there but it's just harder why not just start in alignment mm-hmm yeah i remember going to a going to a, an onsite. So I had been, had a new client years ago. We had connected a fair amount over email, phone calls, all of these things. And sort of, I, they had an impression of me. And when I showed up, I had on, so I had to travel to get there. And when they first met me, I had like an expensive outfit on, but it wasn't a business-like outfit on. It was like these fancy orange sneakers and like these designer jeans and stuff. And they were like, <laughs> And it was a Southern client and they didn't say anything about it until later once we had, it was a, the engagement was a huge success and they, we got along great. And I'm still friends with them. It's years later. But at some point they were like, when you showed up in those orange sneakers, <laughs> <laughs> we just about showed you the door. And I was like, really? I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. It was just like, you know, I was like city slicker and this was like not a city slicker type of client. But, uh, you just thought uh, you were cool. I, yeah. I thought I was like, I thought I was like dressed up like cool guy and they were just like, get out of here with those sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they're listening, I love you guys. That was awesome. <laughs> but there's, a, there's a good point about that though. It's if we, we tend to align with where we are and it can be geographic, but there's a physical reality to that too. I mean, I remember calling on a potential client um, when I was living in Chicago and they were in LA and I, I was with the local rep and we were walking into their office and she was wearing jeans and it was a big company, like a Fortune 500 company. And I was shocked. I was in there in my, uh, if it wasn't a suit, it was a jacket and a skirt and heels and my little briefcase, you know, the whole nine yards. You know, and she's the client, doesn't matter what she wears. It, but I was, I really was shocked. And then later when I moved to LA, I went, oh my God, she was overdressed. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's all, yeah. you know, part of where you come from. And we all have our tribes. 
if you're, you know, a designer, you don't expect a designer to come in in a, you know, a three-piece, you know, pinstripe suit. No, you're going to be the one with, you're going to be the cool guy or the cool gal with the, Mm. you know, the interesting clothes and the glasses and you're going to be the hip one, right? Or wildly hip or nerdy hip or entertainment hip. But there's that too. I think it's, you want to speak to who your people are. What are some like low-hanging fruit that we could give people to maybe look at their marketing materials with fresh eyes or what do you think? Like, where would you start with someone if you were just going to say, do like a free consultation with a friend and just be like, oh, let me just take a look at your website. And like, like what, what would the process be if you were just going to do that in like, I don't know, a half an hour? One thing I would look at is how hard is it to get to reach you? Interesting. This is a double-edged sword because if you're super busy and like you just really don't have any time, you're going to use your website to weed out a lot of people. And and that's okay because that's part of your strategy. But if you're if you're looking for clients and the first thing is how hard is it to reach you? And whether that you have an email address online uh, or a phone number or both, but you might have a form, a web form. And some of those web forms are difficult because they seem to go to spam and people don't check spam. And you feel like, especially if there's a form that requires a lot to put in, like, so this is my business. This is how much I earn every year. You know, those kinds of things. Those are off-putting at at the the initial, you know, for the initial consultation. Let me just pause there to call this out because this is an important point. A lot of people get wrong. I see people who are not getting lots of leads from their website do this because they see successful people doing it. And the reason the successful people are doing it is because they're trying to cut down on the leads. They're trying to cut down. So if you're not trying to cut down on the lead, don't use one of those forms. Yeah. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there's a corollary to that, which is, you know how, um, and I'm not sure you'll know the technical term for this, but you'll have like some kind of a chat bot in there. Sometimes people do this and I have to say, I like the idea of being able to chat. What I don't like is the idea that the person I'm chatting with is wildly available to me at all times. I mean, it's different if you've got a company where you're selling, let's say you've got some digital products and people have questions and things. Absolutely. But if you're selling consulting engagements, I, I'm not crazy about a chatbot. I feel like it sends the wrong message. And it almost says to me that I shouldn't trust you, that why yeah, you have are you no business. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like if you have a if you have a customer service person, then fine chatbot. That right there will weed out if you're listening you're like, "Should I have a chatbot or not?" Like my answer is tell me if you have a customer service person and I'll tell you whether or not you should have a chatbot. And if you do, then great. I worked with a company recently that's a SaaS product, software as a service product. They have a chatbot. They have a, a sales team. They have a customer service team. And it was great. There was actually a person on the other end of the thing. It wasn't one of those like, chat with us now. And you're like, how do I activate the product creation thing? And then it's like, and it's it like searches their knowledge base. And it's like, here are some articles for you. Like, <laughs> I thought I was going to chat with somebody. I could have searched the internet, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm for folks who are listening to this show, probably a chatbot's not great, but you don't have to like overcomplicate things. Just put your email address there and or your phone number and let people contact you that way. It's not there's no expectation it with those communication channels, there's no expectation of an instant answer like there would be with a chatbot. Chatbot says instant answer, like real time communication. I mean, this is going to sound silly. I think it builds trust just having your your email address on the website. And what happens is you're going to get spam. I mean, whether you use a form or you put your email address on there, you're going to get spam. And you just have to say, well, you know what? That's the price of doing business. It's part of saying, I trust that the right people are going to try to reach me. I put my email address all over the internet. I never get spam. I do get spam, but it's like, so what? I mean, it goes to the spam folder and I'll, I'll pick through it. But I have, I have one client who goes crazy with spam and we've put all kinds of spam filters on his stuff and it just, it makes him insane. But you got to wade through some crap to get to the, the jewels. Well, I, yeah, let me, let me clarify. I get tons of spam in my spam folder, but right. I don't go in there. So who cares? <laughs> 
<laughs> so what? Exactly. It, it has to align with your brand. If you're using your website as a, as a screening device, then by all means, screen. But I'm guessing most of the people listening to this podcast aren't at that point yet. Right. They barely have a funnel. And it's like, if you want to put a filter in the funnel, great. But there needs to be something going through it first for you to want to do that. Otherwise, it's just going to like just block out the few things that you are getting. So, okay. So, so that was the first thing was like, make it easy to get in touch with you unless you're trying to make it hard to get in touch with you. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, I think people are like, yeah, I want, I want more conversations. I want more leads. I want, you know, I want to be in conversation with more people probably. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about vulnerability, I think on your about page, again, focusing on the website is to have something where it doesn't make you look like you came out of the womb, super successful, have never had a bump in your life. Those people aren't very interesting. And then the, the flip side is the people I don't find interesting are the ones who I, I think of them as the one shot wonder, right? They've done this one thing and then they've created a business out of it, which is okay, which is there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's making um, lemonade out of lemons. But then everything is that same story over and over again. I know this because I experienced it myself. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be about what you've done for others and the knowledge base that you've built over time to build your expertise or, or your authority. We're talking about online marketing materials, website, that sort of thing. When I see one that is completely me focused, it's a huge turnoff. If it's you focused, and I know this is work, this is, this is confirmation bias because of course I know these stories because these are the people who ended up contacting me, but it happens all the time that people are like, because my website's very you focused. It's like, let me guess, you've got problems like X, Y, and Z. And people have emailed me and said, like, when we were reading your webpage, we were laughing out loud. I, sh- I called my boss over because you had our number so, so hard. <laughs> you were like, you were like Perfect. doing a cold read on the whole business. That's a huge trust builder. And I could have, I could have instead talked about, oh, here's my the five pillars of Jonathan Stark consulting. And here's our proprietary, <laughs> my proprietary process where first we'll do this. And the, yeah. Right. And like, there's a place for that at some point, but if the whole website is just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I'm so great. I'm so great. I'm so great. It's not a good indication of how the engagement might go to me. You know, if we're talking about some sort of, some sort of consultative engagement, that's a bad sign that it doesn't it doesn't show any empathy or self-awareness or active listening skills it just feels really like i don't know to me that's a that's a big that's that does not build trust that erodes trust for sure yeah it's on the about page right because that's where you want to tie your story back to your clients because that's from their perspective your story exists to serve them so the about page needs to have that the other thing is when you know who your audience is, is figuring out how to parse your content in some ways that will provide immediate value to them. And that could just be something as simple as you have one download on one page. So that's your exchange for an email. But if you're blogging or podcasting or you have a video series or you have some email training, you really want to think about how to organize those to build trust. I think of that as making it clear, like we talked about before, clarity, some simplicity in the sense of how you position it on whatever page of your website where you have it, and then rethinking how you present content. So just as an example, like I've been blogging for something like nine or 10 years. So I've got 10 years worth of blogs, but nobody's going to go back and find something from 2012 right? Unless they're searching on something. So there might be ways you could take that content and organize it in different ways, whether it's a series of articles or your top 10, those kinds of things. And and you can also organize them for a particular audience. So you might say, you know, the top 10 articles when you're starting your business, the top 10 for uh, when you're thinking of repricing your services. Top 10 for should you start a course? So, you know, again, that's, I know that takes more and I can hear some groans going, oh, I don't want to do that. It's so much work. But organizing that for your audience builds trust. I mean, they they get you. And just as an example, one of our our former guests, Todd Trusseter, does a really good job of that. 
on his website. If you want to look for an example of yeah, so to, does Jill Conrath. Yes, yes, they both really, really good job of organizing content around uh, around events and around specific uh, verticals in their audience. Yeah, it's like around interests. Like, oh, if you have this kind of problem, here's the top 10 articles. Or if you're trying to do this, go over here. And I, I, I like, I don't know if you've seen this, you've probably seen this pattern where some people have a kind of start here yeah. in their navigation. I like that. I feel I like do I, too. that's something I want to do. It's like, oh, just just heard of me, first time here sort of thing. Here's, here's kind of like the overview and what you need to know. Uh, but for you know, maybe your homepage though is like for people who come back regularly and, and for people who are new, they need a little, like even with my mailing list, I have like a, it's like a 10 or 12 day onboarding sequence to just kind of like orient them around the, the wacky stuff I'm going to be talking about in my live daily broadcast. Like once they're kind of prepared, I walk them through the whole thing. Like here are the concepts, here's a glossary for crying out loud. These are the terms I use you know, and it's helpful and it gives them value early. So by the time they hit the the fire hose, they can manage it and, and they've already received value, which makes them trust me or they, or they bail because they don't, you know, they didn't receive value and they're like, ah, eh, this guy's, you know, this guy's shady and they just bolt. So by the time they come through that kind of, it's kind of like the training wheels phase, they're prepared, they're engaged, they're stoked, you know, so it's, I, I feel like your website can do a similar thing where you meet them halfway. It's like, Oh, here's a, I guess the assumption is that you have tons of content or at least 20 articles some, or something. Yeah, some. some. You go there. Once you start to have that pile creating like what Philip Morgan calls like a resource center. So there's like, he's got an archive cause he's also a daily emailer. He's got an archive of everything. Plus he's got articles and podcast episodes and all that stuff. He's got a lot of stuff. And, uh, he creates what he like a resource center, like, you know, like we said, that is organized by interest or challenge or a stage of business. Like, Oh, just starting out, just started freelancing, thinking about going solo, running a firm, been running a firm for 10 years, go over here. And now, now that we're talking about it, I, I could do a lot better job on my, because right now my thinking about it, I'm kind of embarrassed because like my website right now, my resources are organized by media, which is ridiculous. That's it's like, as soon as we hang up, I'm going to fix that. It's so <laughs> I organize it the way I think about it. So like all the podcast episodes are in one spot, all, all the guest you know, interviews are in one spot. I was like, well, that's stupid because the same person doesn't want to listen to all of those. They're, they care about a particular topic. It's not like, oh, I listen to yeah. podcasts. Therefore, I want yeah. to listen to all of these. Mine are organized like a like um, with a blog, so you can click on. I think there's like ten different topics. Yeah, like categories and tags and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then when I redid my website, I did kind of a best of, you know, sort of the cornerstone content. But I mean, I could do a better job of this too. As as I was saying it, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the biggest things that you can do that's actually really simple once you, especially if you're just starting out versus if you got a ton of content that's already created, is you start to group them into themes. And you can track it on a spreadsheet or something if you want to. But when you start being able to link back to different articles, you create this wonderful rabbit hole for your your audience to go down and sometimes that's what they want so so to be able to create a rat a rabbit hole on how do you start and run a successful podcast as an example um it would be great for somebody to be able to go into that and then when you start linking that to products and services that you offer boom but it's not it's not complicated it's you just have to wrap your arms around all because they're all little pieces especially if you've got a ton of historical content. It's coming up with a way to systematize those things and just make sure that you don't you don't lose the fact that you did these great articles. I'm trying to remember what I did on something if it's not in this, you know, one spreadsheet. I'll go back to my blog and I'll just search on a term and you know, that's how I'll find it. I mean, that's that's kind of sad. It seems there should be an easier way to do it than that. Yeah, just just last night somebody asked me on Twitter I get the same question all the time. I'm like, I've been talking about this for five years and I get the same question. And I'm like, I'm actually, you know, the tone of my voice is like one of, of like, of stress, but I, I actually love that because it's a clue to me that 
I could create a little, a little, um, like a theme around this particular question that, that everybody has. It's like, if you feel like you've answered the question a thousand times, that's kind of good because you know that there's a strong need for it. And it's probably a fairly evergreen need. Now this is all coming together for me now. So it's like, thanks for my weekly <laughs> therapy <laughs> session, for my free consult. Cause I can think of like four questions that I get all the time because people are new to my stuff. And then they ask me this question that I've answered a hundred times in the past, but they're new. So of course they haven't seen it. And, and just like you said, for me to, to point this person in the right direction, I Googled my own website. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like, I have over a thousand articles on there. Imagine how hard it is. I can't even find it. Imagine how, like, I can't remember where it was. Of course it's hard for some new person or even someone who's not new to, make any sense of all of this stuff or like find the needles in the haystack. And it happens all the time. Like people, people will be like, I remember you talking about this thing, but I can't remember if it was a podcast or a YouTube video or an article or on your mailing list. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> so I'm, I'm searching, for, I'm like using my Google food to like find where it was. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I remember saying it or writing it, but I can't remember where it was. It'd be almost as easy as like, grabbing a couple of Google can search, like advanced Google searches, throwing them onto my site and, um, and then the, like the links, but like, okay, here's the links. And then I could just like add that to a page. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Great advice. Boom. Right there. That's for people that have lots of content though. I think it's probably people with like a homepage and about page, uh, a work with me page, a sort of a yard sale of sporadic blog posts. Those things build trust because I think what you said, Jonathan, is true for all of us. We all have two or three or four core questions we get asked all the time. And so why not create something for them? And then you're speaking to them directly to them in a consistent voice that aligns with everything else that you do. That builds trust. 100%. So let's, we should probably start to wrap up, but there's one thing that you just mentioned that I wanted to bring back up, which was uh, voice. So if we're talking about we're talking about websites right now and like what are some things you could do to to make it more trustworthy or to build trust with the kinds of people who you most like to work with. This is maybe a little bit controversial, but I'm a big fan of writing the way you talk, because if you don't write the way you talk and eventually they talk to you and it's a mismatch, <laughs> right? They're going to talk to you. Right. I consider myself a fairly casual speaker. I just like to speak casually. It's like I, from my stage background, being on stage, you can't talk like a professor. And it just stuck with me. I say gonna and ain't and y'all. And, and I use tons of smiley faces and emojis when I'm writing emails and that sort of thing. It's not super professional. So why would I write my website as if I was like this button down lawyer type and then attract some people who are then like, oh, yeah, I really want to I really want to set up a call with you. And then I get on there. I'm like, how's it going? You know? <laughs> hey, man. And they're like, um, what? I think of uh, uh, what's her name? Pia. I think it's Pia Silva or Sylvia. Her domain name, I think, is Badass Brands. And she's just 100 percent badass all the time. And you know exactly what it's going to be like when you when you talk to her, when you work with her, and she's going to attract the right kind of people. And you can see from her client list that everybody she works with is all like tattooed and like got like <laughs> piercings and they've got these cool little like boutiques in, in Brooklyn or whatever. Um, I'm sorry if I got her name wrong, but we'll link to it in the show notes. But there are plenty of examples of this. It's like Ramona, when she came on the show, you have no doubt what you're getting when you work with Ramona. No, it's all right there. And you know, and you, you either glom onto that lover to death like I do, or you go, no, not for me. Right. That's sort of a pet peeve of mine because you get people who are soloists that use the royal we and it's all like, you know, you could just, you know, oh, they're just gag like, me. first yeah. person people, first person. Yeah. If just it's talk. just you, it's first person. <laughs> right. And just talk like you talk. Because yes. you're not fooling anybody because eventually you're going to have to talk to them. And if you, if you're attracting people who are expecting one thing and then get another, that's just going to be frustrating for everyone. You might as well be yourself. And there's no reason not to be yourself. There's no reason 
maybe yourself needs some work, <laughs> but it needs to be like across the board. Like some people don't, some people I see who are like, oh, I want to get into consulting, but they just don't comport themselves in that way. They're just, maybe it's too casual. And again, maybe I'm just saying like, maybe I'm just thinking like, oh, they would be too casual uh, or too unprofessional for the kinds of people I work with. But yeah, maybe there are people- their- on their audience, their clients. Yeah, it depends. It depends, right? Well, and what happens sometimes too is you'll you'll meet somebody who is a little bit more, I don't want to say stuffy, but a little bit more formal, formal and that's, that's their the word, style. Yeah. But you know, I'm thinking of somebody that, that I've worked with who has a very formal, quasi professorial style because the person once was a professor, and so you have to decide between speaking in that voice and speaking in a voice that more people will pay attention to that are still in your audience. So it's finding that right balance of speaking to who you are and keeping who you really are at your core. Is it making sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you do have to be genuine, but you want to communicate. And if people aren't getting you, then something has to change. Okay, that's okay. Now I, I... Now That's I, what I meant. I'm not saying like adjust who you are. I'm just saying sometimes you have to become a little bit more formal or a little bit less formal if you're focusing on a particular audience. I think you can still be yourself, but you might have to get better at communicating. That's what's different. It's two different things. It's like it's all happening in the words or it's all happening. Yeah, it's all happening in the words. And you can still be yourself, but come up with a different way to say something that's still your personality, but just different words. Because the message isn't getting across. Surely there's overlap there, but like I don't think you have to be casual to communicate something well, but jargon can be a problem. No, you might have to be more casual. I would use it that way, more casual. It, is, it depends. I mean, I, there's a, an example on my website where I, I literally pulled something that was online and I quoted it and then I rewrote it. So, because it was just so stiff and I knew who it was that did that and they're not stiff. I was shocked when I read that. I was like, really? That person wrote that? That's not, you know, that's not who they are. So, yeah, I, I just think it's, you can be genuine, but you always have to be, we're communicators. You have to be in, mindful of who your audience is and what they want to hear and know, but keeping true to who you are. I mean, if you're a, a very religious person and you think swearing is inappropriate, well, you're not going to all of a sudden, you know, sprinkle expletives, right, on your website. No, nobody would say to do that. It is a matter of, of understanding sort of what's, what's usual uh, with your audience, what's accepted and what's trusted. Doesn't mean you can't do it differently, but you want to know what that starting point is. Cool. Okay. So that ties back into the authenticness. So let's, let's wrap up. I'm just going to kind of read down the list that I've been capturing here. So um, we've got consistency in language and voice and all, really all of your output, clarity, giving straight talk, being genuine, being authentic, trusting first, being vulnerable, these are all, I think, all things that can exist in all of your communications, whether it's your website or your email list or your podcast or your sales meetings or your engagements, uh, your status reviews, all of these things. It's all tied into everything that comes out of your mouth, basically. It's like presenting yourself in a consistent way with clarity, speaking the truth, so on and so forth. So just do that. there's your list go do it (laughs) in five minutes ready go (laughs) ready go exactly all right cool do we uh do we beat that horse to death or is there anything else we need to i've i've said enough (laughs) okay all right for today yes so that's it for this time around i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye bye